0: Hello, Three Code Rock fans. Welcome to Rat Tales, the podcast that brings you the music and stories of the Boston rock scene that grew out of the mid-1970s at the Rat and some of the other rock joints that sprung out of that scene, each with their own sick charm. We'll tell you the stories through the music and voices of the people who were there, helping shape the garage punk sound that gave rock and roll a much needed punch in the face, shaking it out of its bloated classic rock doldrums. Each show will bring you the bands, promoters, and seamsters who made the Boston rock scene so uniquely Boston. Today we're talking with Richie Parsons and Tom White from Unnatural X, the snotty-nosed punks from Dorchester who made irreverence and art form back in the 1970s. Here's the Unnatural X classic. Tonight we fight.
1: You try to pass I Told you once before Did you fuck with the axe Gonna leave the code Down in the street
0: Funny, uh, I was thinking when I was talking to Tom and there was, I was listening to an old interview that you guys did um, with Lenny a few years ago that we we chopped up and, and put in um, and I'm like, okay, so I'm from I'm from Upman's Corner originally and it's like, and then it's like, so it's like, okay, you get three Dorchester guys, you're probably going to have to get a translator for people in other parts of the who don't have English as a first language. Yeah. So, well,
2: um, I've been reading my dad's diaries and uh, as a teenager, he worked in a supermarket in Upman's Corner.
0: Oh, really? Yep.
2: It was, it was at 1932 through 38 or something like that, yeah.
0: Yeah, my grandparents lived there. Huh. So we're just going to rock and just, uh, the thing that we, you know, I think the best thing to do is just, you know, so do, what did you guys, how did your musical taste get shaped? what did you listen to growing up? You you know, you're a little slightly younger than I am, but uh, you listen to early 70s, you listen to pop. What, what were you listening to when you were growing up? Good light of uh, answers for that one.
3: Yeah.
2: You know, my dad had a huge record collection and that was just like, he was like the music guy in the neighborhood. You know, fifteen hundred 3,000 LPs, most of it kind of easy listening jazz, but lo- some fun stuff. And then my oldest brother, Jimmy, he, uh, he was into like, uh, you know, Hendrix and Zeppelin and stuff like that. And that kind of got me into music, period. I didn't even know when I was a little kid that like my grandmother was an opera singer or any of that stuff. But um, then all of a sudden I I was into like David Bowie and glam stuff, stuff that my older brother wasn't listening to. And then I stumbled upon a box of records and found The Dictator's first album. And that was the game changer right there that came out at the same time as like maybe the first Ramones album. And I was like, wow, music can be funny, too like because the dictators to me were a riot but it was like it was a little more hard rock than punk rock you know because they kind of toured with blue oyster cult and stuff but um yeah that was the game changer right there and then tommy and i kind of met through a mutual friend brian cooley who was really into music and you know together or individually we'd hang out with brian cooley and listen to music and then tommy and i ended up starting to like wanting to play music together too
0: Tommy, what was
2: your
3: experience um. So uh, our family song that we would play on the on the photograph was uh, "They're Coming to Take Me Away," haha. Uh. <laughs> and and we we'd put our hands on each other's shoulders and walk around walk around the house like we uh, escaped from the asylum
0: or something. Remember when you ran away and I got on my knees and begged you not to leave because I go berserk. Well. You left me anyhow, and then the days got worse and worse, and now you see I've gone completely out of my mind. And they're coming to take me away, ha-ha. They're coming to take me away, ho-ho, hee hee, ha To the funny farm where life is beautiful all the time, and I'll be happy to see those nice young men in their clean white coats, and they're coming to take me away, ha
3: <laughs> And uh, I like... Um... You know, no- novelty songs and wacky stuff like that. So when Richie found the uh, the Dictators, that was the uh, the mutual keystone to uh, comedy and rock. <laughs> that that helped us uh, take off. Now, the the other thing that I thought that I used to do a lot of was watching um, Don Kirshner's rock concert and at uh, rock concert on on um, on TV late at night. At midnight, and midnight then, special. Oh yeah, the midnight special. Yeah, and uh, I like. I like stuff like Alice Cooper, and that was a, a always a always a great treat. <laughs>
0: That's the first time I ever saw the dolls. Was on Don Kirshner, and mm-hmm. I just went, "Holy shit! This is like nothing I'd ever seen before." And I'm there, like, "Man, I bought, bought the record."
2: I saw I saw Kiss on in concert. You know, that was another late night one. Yep. And the next morning, I told my brother, "I saw this." Band K one five five. They're really awesome.
3: <laughs> There's your new band name? I know. Uh,
0: Speaking of, uh, so I actually had heard an interview with you guys before, and I think it's one of the best stories I've I've ever heard. It's in terms of like you guys like getting your eyes open to different kinds of music from a live standpoint, and um, and you you talked about the night that uh, I guess Tommy went to see Iggy Pop, and Richie you went to see um, you went to the Runaway show in '77. I actually was at that show. There's probably, a, there was like five, 500 men. I was standing on a chair and just like 14 girls that are just like, they, they were decent, you know, Cherry Bomb's a great song and they, they did it, but it was just like, that must've been like, I don't know. That's what like sex slaves must feel like. Cause it was just nothing but like <laughs> horny men staring at these smoking hot young women, you banging their guitars. It was awesome though. There's some pretty talented people in that band.
2: It was totally awesome. I happened to be talking about that show this weekend because I was out on uh, Jimmy Harold's boat with a few people. And we, um, um, uh, oh my gosh, Erna Connors was saying she was at that show, but she had gone to the Bowie show first. Now, I know that night, like Tommy and I sometimes, like when we would go out, we wouldn't go out together because we'd make sure we had rock coverage (laughs) <laughs> so like like we could report back to each other about what we saw like i'm going to the rat i'm going to Cantones. well tommy went to the harvard square theater to see bowie and iggy and no I that went...
3: was um, uh blondie and oh, iggy. blondie
2: and iggy but but bowie, but was, iggy, playing but bowie was
3: playing keyboards mm-hmm. with Iggy. oh my god
2: yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and and then i went to the rat with uh my brother billy and mark harrington from my neighborhood i, I you know I called the rat in advance and said, I'm only 17. I promise I won't drink. I think they really got a kick out of that. Because that was the very first night I ever went to a nightclub to see music. And it was Thunder Train and The Runaways. And
3: it was awesome.
0: That was a mind-blowing uh, show. I was
2: sitting at one of the tables right up front. Uh, when Iggy came in, they cleared a little table away. And uh, there was a guy from MIT doing his homework there, Bob. And it's the first time I've ever met him, God rest his soul. And he lent me some paper so I could get Iggy's autograph. And I was just like, wow, Mm -hmm. this is my first time out. I'm seeing the Runaways. I saw this band, Thunder Train. That was awesome. I just met Iggy Pop. This must be what it's like going to a club every night.
4: (laughs) (laughs) uh,
3: So you know the story that I got, because I I worked in a theater with some people. They said they were upstairs when uh, Bowie and Iggy showed up to go to the Rat. Mm-hmm. But David Bowie said, "I don't want to go down there." Do you yeah, have yeah. Uh, video monitors so I can watch it? So he he never, yeah, he, he, he never didn't went, go downstairs, yeah. but he was there that night.
0: Yeah. What a what a! I mean, c- you know, considering that the club didn't hold that many people, the fact that I was there too, and I, that was I was trying to figure out the first time I ever went to the Rat, or the first time I started doing the scene, um, and and that's that's what I you know, I, I forgot that that was in 1977. So I guess I go March back a little bit.
2: March 16th or 15th. Just oh okay. Before, uh, yeah, it was just before um, evacuation day. Is that the, uh, the the Boston holiday?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yep. yep. Well, it was yep. one day after my
0: birthday, so I was nineteen.
2: Oh really? Yeah, that's yep. awesome.
0: How did you guys end up picking up instruments? I mean, just you just said, like, let's just do this. I mean, you, you, we already listened to the type of music you wanted to. And you said, OK, uh, I think I'm going to stop playing guitar because that's what the girls like.
2: <laughs> uh, well, Tom, Tommy had a friend that was selling a guitar on uh, Galvin Boulevard. And so I was going to either sign up for um, Bantam Hockey. Well, actually, what comes after Bantams? Midgets, whatever. I was gonna sign up for hockey, or, uh, but I decided to buy a guitar instead. And uh, I bought my SG, which I still have, off a friend of Tommy's, or at least someone Tommy knew. And um, yeah, we started like, like, Tommy could already play. I was, and still am, as basic as it goes. But um, yeah, we just started writing songs. And it was like, it was pretty hysterical.
3: Well, I wanted to play, like, you know, the, the real rockers, but that, that wasn't going to happen, so thank God <laughs> punk rock came along, it was a lot easier.
0: <laughs> did, did you guys, so when you you were growing up, so did you, you listen to Led Zeppelin? did you guys have to go through, like, a cover band phase, or did you guys launch right into playing what you wanted to right off the bat? Yep.
2: <laughs> yeah, we launched into playing right off the bat. Tommy could learn a song. I couldn't learn a song. I had to write one. Like, I, I mean, honestly, if it wasn't for YouTube and, and um, now I'm 60, I, there's so many songs I like, I could never have played. I don't know. I just, I'm not, I'm not that adept, but um, yeah, I would say I can't even remember my songs I write. What do you want me to learn someone else's? Um,
3: yeah. So, so Richie, you were great because you, you could make up all this funny, these funny freaking songs. And uh, just, I would just crack up the whole time. Of course I had to do this.
1: for night no
0: you know what really is funny so i was talking to um to uh frank Rowe. I, Frank wrote uh, earlier, uh, you know t- earlier today when we would, when we were doing the other show and uh, Frank said when he was growing up, he listened to Tom Lara and then Tom was saying, you know mm-hmm. like when you were a kid, then you were listening to like uh, they're coming to take us away, you know, and the funny stuff. And then so I'm walking down the beach last week and I'm listening to older older tunes and a couple of unnatural act songs come on like uh, brain damage. Mm-hmm. Is that the name of the song, brain damage and then you know Hitler's brain.
1: When I woke up this morning my was I was leaking from the brain He said, don't worry Frank, you've got nothing to lose I'm so fast to control you
0: couple of other ones come on and I just going like and all I could think of was like, this is why I was listening to Rock this is why I switched over because everything <laughs> else was so bloated before and then when I saw you guys for the first time I think it was at the Rumble and I just went like this and like and just other people and like even like DMZ and, and just like they were not taking themselves serious they were playing it hard and fast and it was like so much different so um, so what's for, from a songwriting standpoint a lot of so you guys wrote a lot of really funny stuff and, and a lot of good stuff But um, what was the first song that you wrote together? Or or, I mean, what what were the first songs that you guys did? And and how did that, um, by the time you guys started gigging, you know, what was the set looking like?
2: Yeah, I was trying to think of that recently because I've been doing a lot of like family research and stuff and going through a lot of my dad's stuff. And I know Tommy and I were sitting at my kitchen table once and we were were working on three chord rock. And I, I don't know if we had, been to Cantons or it was or it was just a night we happened to be in my kitchen and my dad came out and you know, we sang him, we told him what we were working on and then he wrote the next, my dad wrote the next line. So it, it was, yeah, it was just like, it was really funny.
1: We're gonna play out. We'll do anything just to please the crowd. Playing the road on Saturday. Something will be big and play out of state. Wow. Three go Three go around. Three go around. That's a win. Way- But,
2: you know before three chord rock i don't know if tommy did we have like some oh, yeah. hitler's brains and all that first no
3: no but remember you had an early version of three chord rock it was like mm, three oh, oh, rock. Turn, turn it, up. it, up. Turn <laughs> turn it up. up turn it up <laughs> turn it up yeah and then um what uh, uh heads, heads will rock what is it tonight we fight or something? what's that other one
2: no tonight we fight was definitely no. you got, you did the most of the Max music. will rock
3: yeah. heads will roll do 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 what's that song uh Feeling wicked hyper and i'm losing control oh Max uh will rock rocket. heads will roll i rocket. think we used to do that, that? But yeah that started out as tonight i'll get fucked up yeah <laughs> which, which, which was yeah tonight i'll <laughs>
2: Tonight I'll get fucked up was yeah. cl- was the exact same riff as um What's well, thin- gonna be a jailbreak? Jail break. It's gonna be a
3: break. <laughs> exactly.
4: <laughs> exactly. So you started.
3: You were playing along with what you liked and just made up your own lyrics and changed. And just right. right. around with what you knew But then when it came to like
2: writing the songs, I mean, definitely the uh, you know Hitler's brains creepeth, summertime, three chord rock, they were definitely those five were in were in the
3: first eight or so. You know Yeah yeah you came up with those like pretty quickly uh, pretty much on your own cuz i remember you had it written down on a filing basement bag <laughs>
0: Yeah you're like, i did
3: Toby play this right okay <laughs> and you sort of. you'd like sing along just get it going <laughs>
0: having to play sh- shitty covers and stuff like that. So when you guys, before you started writing, how did you get influenced? I mean, you mentioned that you, when you were a teenage, you went to like Cantones and, um, and The Rat and st- uh, The Rat, you went in 77. So like, where were you getting, like, who was informing you, basically, when you were writing? And, and plus the records, like you said, Dictators and stuff, so. Oh, we had a great
3: slew of, of, of uh, music to <sighs> listen, of punk rock music to listen to that, was, that they'd play on TBS at the time. With with the uh, the, the punk Demi rock shows, yeah, But punk was, yeah. Show, right? Punk yeah. rock of in seventy six and seventy seven, in you know even now was unbelievable because it was just like I don't know the birth of rockabilly or something, anything goes, and they were just great songs. And, and it had its whole, whole own sound. Now you know, yeah. like Richie, um, we'd play with your brother who was older, you know. Mm-hmm. But if if we started playing or listening to, to punk rock music. It, the older kids would just run away. They just couldn't take yeah. it. So it was really <laughs> the music for our, our generation. Yeah, exactly right. So
2: and, uh, I was going to say, um, you know, we we could listen to uh, the Demi Moan. When I was working in Feline's basement, Discount Records on Washington Street was like the place to go to get new 45s. So I became friends with like Ray Schrader and the, the other older guys that worked there. And I could... If it was a rainy day I could go through Feline's basement, through the subway, through Jordan Marsh and like never really have to be outside except for to run across Washington Street to discount records and that's where I bought all my first 45s. That's where I met Mono Man. like Mono Man knew our record you know and he was just like that kick drum, that kick drum is so good and I'm like yeah whatever this guy's kooks. but you know it, it was like it, it was awesome it was like you you listening to all this new music uh we wanted to make that kind of music um you know i don't think we had any an ounce of pretensions oh of, of no god
3: no I, I can remember a good one cool thing mm-hmm. cuz you you could load up on all those records at discount records right then you bring it yeah. home playing but i remember you told me we sit down and you go i've been listening to this music and you know what it's just like a drone sound that you <laughs> <say> <laughs> lyrics over I'm like okay we're we're on our way. <laughs> <laughs> I've <beat> analyzed <laughs> the music and figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we didn't have scientific. to go through like you said the shitty cover band phase, we went through our own shitty original
4: phase.
0: <laughs> so so it's you two guys and then um how did you put the whole band together and when did you see what was it like first gigs and all that?
2: Well we we met Frank at um Berkeley College of Music summer sessions for inner city kids, <laughs> and uh, that's uh, when we would go into practice rooms and just turn the amps all the way up and, you know, we, we were supposed to, I mean, I shouldn't speak for Tommy, we were, we were learning theory. I, I wasn't learning theory, I just carried my guitar all the way into auditorium station to plug in and play with Tommy and whoever, you know, period. But um, that's where we met Frank.
0: Frank's the ba- was the bass player, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What's his last name?
2: Daler. Daler. Okay. Yeah. He's he he went to you know high school in JP. I went to Boston Tech. Uh, Tommy was a oh Tommy. I forget what not Columbus, right?
3: No. Oh, high school Don Bosco.
2: Yeah. Don Bosco. I apologize. Don
3: Bosco Tech woodworking. Yeah, that's right. <laughs>
2: so that's where we met, and then um, you know we started to play. We made, a, we made a movie without Frank, but with Tommy's buddy, uh, Mike Costa. Uh, that was kind of like early rehearsals. We would play down you, me, and Mike Costa in the basement.
3: Yeah, we went through kind of a phase with, with him for a while.
0: Uh, who he was, was the, awesome. Who was the drummer early on, or who were the drummers? I know you guys had a lot of drummers over the years.
2: Yeah, like Spinal Tap, they kept blowing <laughs> up. Uh, Dominic DeYoung... From Revere was our first drummer and he he worked in a parking lot or a parking garage with someone from our neighborhood who introduced us to him and my brother sold him his Slingerland drum kit so we had drums at the house. He plays on the first EP.
0: Okay and was he there for the early years like um, you know the late 70s? I,
3: he
2: wasn't there too long. How, how many gigs did we play with Dominic Tom?
0: Oh, I don't know,
3: maybe 10 at the most.
2: Yeah, yeah.
3: He got us out the door.
2: Yeah, exactly.
3: What was the first gig you guys played?
2: Jimmy Burns' living room.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but no drummer.
2: Yeah, Chris. Really? And, yeah, and both guitars and Mike plugged into the same amp. <laughs>
0: oh, that's Pretty funny. Good. Yeah. So, what did you, so how did, just how did how did the uh, acts progress in terms of, because you guys were, you were in the finals at, um, at, uh, the rumble in like 79 or something like that. So it's a pretty, pretty quick timeline, I think, right?
1: Yeah, I think
2: I think it was funny because I kind of kept going to clubs. Tommy was working at the uh, Lyric Stage. Is that the name of the place? Yeah, yeah well, I yeah. was
3: going to Emerson.
2: Yeah, and, and then I would be going to like Cantones and then meeting him after he got out of work, giving him a report. I worked with Frank Rowe's girlfriend at the time in Feline's basement, Denise Donahue. So she was, like, I would tell Tommy, she's my secret into Boston rock and roll. She knows everybody, you know? And like, so that was, I was a fan, you know? I was going to all these shows and then I'd report back to Tommy. My relationship and friendship with uh, Frank um, was definitely based on my relationship and friendship with Denise, his girlfriend at the time. Uh, Denise Donahue became Denise Rowe. We worked in Feline's basement together. She would tell me stories about like the Ready Teddy house where people lived like, you know, Matthew McKenzie and uh, Scott Baronwald, And, you know, it's just like all these rock and roll people, the Paley brothers and stuff like that. And I was like, you know, all these people, you know? Oh, and then, then it was like, yeah, my boyfriend's in a band too. So when I first started seeing bands, you know, or if I would go to, it was all Cantones thing at that point because I was more into the Cantones before I even ventured to the rat, you know. It was just easier.
3: Yeah, I don't think they checked IDs. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right. Yeah. <clears throat>
2: exactly right. And um, so, yeah, that's how my original friendship with, with Frank started. And it was because, um, you know, Denise uh, kind of hook, hooked me up and um as far as getting gigs and doing gigs, um I I just kind of followed followed them around anyway. So I don't think there were any like super axe, uh baby's arm or real ki- um sorry, classic ruins gigs um that I can think of off the top of my head. I
3: think I think we might have played together at, at Cantones. Oh we baby's did play arm. at
2: Cantones, yeah.
3: Yeah. Greatest gig ever. <laughs> <laughs> Frank Rose birthday party, right? did they? Slap oh, that's a right. At him?
2: That no, that was um, Africa Core. That was uh, Africa Core, which was uh, Kenny Highland and Solomon, and yeah, that was a uh, almost like a post Gizmos uh, band that did Frank's played Frank's birthday party. I'm not sure we played that, but whatever.
3: <laughs> but I think he did. I'm a wimp with them.
2: Ah
3: because I remember he didn't have the guitar on and he was holding up the mic stand and he got the cake. Right?
2: <laughs> and um, so I, I'm trying to think about like our first gigs. I int-
3: think the, I think the thing was you kind of uh, you kind of talked your way into getting us to play at Cantones for the frenzy benefit.
2: That was at the frenzy benefit, yeah.
3: So that was like our first first time. I, and we had Rita Rat with us
0: then still. Yep,
2: Rita Rat screaming.
0: Oh, uh, the woman on They Saved Hitler's Brain? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's funny. My Did... dad
2: called her Yellin' Helen. Uh. <laughs> they, saved
1: they saved Hitler's brain. They saved Hitler's brain. They saved Hitler's brain. They saved Hitler's
0: brain. What was the frenzy benefit? What was that all about?
3: That was Bob Colby's magazine, wasn't it? Bob Colby's yes. uh, punk, Fanzine, punk rock newsletter.
0: Yeah. Do you remember who else was on the bill? Oh. Thrills?
3: Um, Maybe Thrills, uh, La Peste? Yeah. Can't think of who else. And the space Negroes, I think, let us use their their gear. Oh, okay. They would they were what were they from around here? Because I remember the name. Yeah, they, they, they turned into uh well that was Roger Miller. Oh, I and, never made that
0: connection. That was mission
3: to Burma, Oh my with, god. Except it had uh uh they didn't have Peter Prescott on the drums. They had the guy from the that ended up in the Atlantics.
0: So your first ah. gig that you guys play out, I mean, the real legitimate one, you're on the same bill as La and Thrills?
3: I don't know if La Peste did that one. Yeah, oh, no, definitely I, Thrills, I, though. Yeah, I have the poster
0: somewhere here, so we can... But still, the Thrills were kind of a big deal then. I loved it.
3: Yeah,
2: we were peers. You know, I think Barb went to uh, Emerson when Tommy was there.
3: Yeah, and Johnny Angel.
2: Oh, he went there too. I didn't know Johnny that. Angel
3: was. Yeah, I used to have to see him. <laughs> he
2: used to have to. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I
3: don't. I don't remember seeing Barb too much on campus. Or, uh, if at all. Uh,
0: you want to expand upon the I had. I had to see him on campus. Well, I no, not <laughs>
3: if this is going off as, as a podcast. Okay. Johnny and I are great. Johnny and I are great friends now, but I, I met him in uh, California a couple of years back, and I almost had asked, "When did you become a nice guy?" <laughs> i guess he couldn't get it couldn't get away from here fast enough or something
0: Oh, that's funny so if i was if i was uh didn't know uh the acts that well and if you wanted to showcase what what should what albums or what releases uh what what showcases you guys best that's on um that's accessible
2: well i, I other I, I than guess, youtube <laughs> yeah uh, but i think i'll go i'll start with um Describing the uh, recording history.
0: Okay. Uh,
2: so we recorded the first, the four-song EP, um, and I think we did a fifth song. We did three chord rock at that time as well.
0: And that was they saved Hitler's brain EP, or yes, Hitler's okay.
2: brain, Creeper, Summertime, and the Plug. We did that at Gary Soprano's uh, studio. I think he lived in Newton in his basement. Um, he was a guitar player in Third Rail. And Joe Viglione, the Count, produced it. So that's the beginning of the Axe's recording career. They Saved Hitler's Brain was played so much on WTBS, the MIT I love station. love that record. They played that like crazy. And, you know, uh, the reviews were... Equally hysterical. Uh, James Isaacs, you know, just, just wrote probably, he was like a jazz critic, you know? He wrote one of the funniest freaking reviews.
1: shouts to the driver and he says let's go he doesn't comb his hair but it looks real neat. he's ruling the world from the back seat they saved Hitler's brain they saved Hitler's brain they saved Hitler's brain they saved Hitler's brain brain.
2: And then it be, so that became like the whole beginning of of, of the acts because um, we had this record it was pressed in Texas um, we we can all still remember and laugh about the conversations with the pressing plant you know the guy I remember the guy saying Richie this is one of the finer new wave punk recordings we have ever received and I I just kept saying well where is it you know I think we made a thousand. anywhere in the world for a couple of dollars because you could and i would only charge a couple of dollars and if you wanted to buy one now on um discogs or something like that they'd be about 400 or 450 bucks you know um i remember when uh we played in uh italy in 2006 and my daughter realized that they were like 400 bucks on ebay or whatever like, How many of those do you have, Dad? How many of those do you have? I go, well,
3: I don't have enough to, you know, pay yeah, for to
0: college. send you to college. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> so our songs were so short, we could fit four on a. On, was that a forty-five? Song? It was a forty-five. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was a plus. But really, it was the record that made us made us happen because we're getting airplay around here, and also got all this noticed worldwide because. It slowly seeped out all around the world.
2: Yeah. And all those, um, like, uh, you know, DIY type of uh, compilation albums that bootlegged us, they really helped. You know, they helped. That's why we got kind of to keep playing places and, and stuff like that. I, I, I don't care. I don't, you know, we didn't, we, we, we're not miss, missing out on any cash because of that stuff but it really well, helped it, kind of spread well, the
3: name. it kind of hurts when people you know are, are taking your stuff and... Uh...
2: That's true, though.
3: <laughs> <laughs> That's Does it true. have to be them?
2: <laughs> I know. But, um, you know, so so that was the first EP.
1: Don't pull the fuck on me. So much sky high. Don't pull the blood on me. I tell you all now. Open my mouth and scream and shout. But I don't know how.
2: Then we did a, um, a recording session that Oedipus produced, and that was the man I don't want to be. And so we re-released Hitler's Brain as the B-side. We have other recording sessions and stuff, but uh, that anything else we did became part of the uh, the full length that Eric Law put out on Lawless and also the uh, Finland label put it out. What's um, the name so, of the record? Uh, a Natural act Will Kick
0: Your Ass. <laughs> He's going to kick your ass. Is going to relax, kick your it's gonna kick your ass. Okay. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. It's yeah. gonna kick your ass. You'll pay for this.
3: Yeah. <laughs> and when you gonna have a follow up? Something like uh, I got my ass kicked or something.
2: <laughs> I paid for kicking my ass. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's kind of like that's the recorded career. We did some fun stuff. We recorded stuff at the La Loft. Uh, we recorded at electroacoustic which was a little studio in bay village live stuff was always recorded by billy daffodil and um mark uh dave hardcore um they recorded us at mass art which was awesome i mean you know tommy i gotta find those again because some people Billy
3: daffodil has got those on super high quality mixes
2: yeah yeah Uh, we should revisit those the um the, the gig at Mass College of Art um, is was somewhat historic for another sense. It was the first time Roger Miller and Clint Conley sat and saw us play. And I think they were tripping. <laughs> and they 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 were watching us and started talking to each other and then looked up again and we were all naked, well, in our underwear and i think that i think uh either clint said to roger or roger said to clint this is not a photograph and then they wrote their song uh roger wrote the song this is not a photograph based on the fact that they were they had just seen a natural act and we we're, were like going through this moment so. <laughs>
0: Is that the do you guys get in your underwear at college gigs? That's oh, you know Emerson and then at Mass uh, Art, yeah.
3: You yeah, know you know, I, something, Richie. I, I was going to ask you what what was with the underwear, but I know what this was all about. We'd wear these big, heavy arm uh flight suits, the jumpsuits, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, and yeah. you'd sweat like crazy. So I know by the encore,
0: we're like stripping these things off, yeah, <laughs> we yeah, <had> yeah. To. <laughs> that's
2: right, yeah, yeah, and there we are in our tidy whities. <laughs>
0: Now you wear those flight suits early on too, right?
2: We did. That was just part of our
0: yeah. You know, that's so oh, I completely Army forgot Navy about that.
2: Army Navy store on Boylston Street or whatever. Oh, that's I hilarious. still have a couple of them up in my uh, in my closet upstairs. I probably have Tommy's or Frank's. I certainly know I can't get
0: into one of them. <laughs> Tell your daughter she can sell that on eBay. That's right. <laughs> to someone in Italy. <laughs> yeah. So um. So you're so you playing gigs, you're playing at Cantones, does it like take off from there? Do you start getting, um, do you start, and, and, and what, were the, what were the venues that you were playing in um, back then? So it was like, there, I know it was fairly limited at that point, Cantones, The Rat, maybe The Space. Um, and the club. The club. Yeah, and then
3: uh, I, I started looking up um, some of the old, old listings of where we played. And we would play at these places for like three, sometimes three nights in a row. Mm-hmm. You know, two sets a night it's it's unbelievable how much uh how much work there was back then
0: was that because there there was not as many bands or is that because you guys were a draw
2: i, I no I, we certainly weren't a draw i and, and we'll never be accused of that
4: but
0: <laughs> oh, the <God>. uh
2: <laughs> but God. the um the way the clubs worked was they wanted people there and they wanted some turnover, so it would be like you know uh, two bands, maybe playing two sets each. Um, you know, and then they started out doing like three bands, you know, across the night, four bands across the night. But yeah, two sets was was the rule. You know, you you, you go out, you play your first set, you warm up, you play your second set, you try and slay them. Um, and and when I was just going to gigs, like going to gigs at the Rat, for me, I'd be able to see the first two sets, so I could say I saw. You know the destroyed and uh wayne county but then i took the had to take the train home to dorchester so it wasn't like i was like part of the late night crowd yeah you know so i mean in general that was that was a pretty that was pretty much the way it went
3: but there'd be multiple night stands too sure it'd be At like thursday
2: yeah, yeah yeah thursday
3: through saturday or something. thursday through
2: saturday yeah
3: We did our last, jeez.
2: Yeah, or or the the Rat used to do like a Thursday-Friday and a Saturday-Sunday. Really? The Dead Boys played four nights when I went to see them the first time. But with different sets of openers Thursday-Friday, different sets of openers Saturday-Sunday, yeah.
0: So so you guys are playing. And then, um, so the first time I saw you guys, I think, I could be wrong, I have a lot of very hazy memories of uh, my youth, um, it was at the at the Rumble at the at the Rock and Roll Rumble and um, that I know they uh, I I didn't realize this till today uh, John Macy had organized a couple of, like Battle of the Bands two like the two years before mm-hmm. and then uh, you know uh, Frank Rowe was telling me that um, they uh, BCN kind of caught to this whole punk thing and um, I know they were supporting some of the bands anyway and uh, and then they decided to take over the Rumble <clears throat> so. They had the rumble. So you guys, uh, what was that like? I mean, uh, oh, so
3: we're going to take you back a little because.
0: Yeah, yeah um, please do. I think uh,
3: what I what I think I read was the first, uh, you know, rumble was at the club and Willy Logo mm-hmm. won because yeah. remember, he cracked the champagne for La when we played rumble number zero, which was actually a BCN one at the In Square Men's Bar. That's right.
2: We lost it, to Mark Thor. You lost to who? Mark Thor.
0: Mark Thaw. Oh, Jesus.
3: Yeah,
2: yeah. Wow. And and we were invited to that, Tommy, I think probably the, the maybe the night before it happened. You oh, know really? I mean? Yeah. I was just like, hey, we got a show. Can we play? And Frank couldn't play because he was at school, right? So we had Joe Harvard play bass. So that was always the thing because Frank was at UMass Amherst. So when we got our first gigs in 77, he was away at school.
3: Yeah. We had to get uh, carbon Monoxide play with us once. I can't tell.
2: She played us. She might even even played at the Frenzy Benefit. I don't, I'm not sure.
3: Uh, I think Rita and I were splitting bass.
2: <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs> oh, man.
0: Who's who, uh, uh, Can you tell us who Carmen Monoxide is? She's V. Wiseman. And she used to play
3: in a ska band called Square Peg. And she played in other bands too. And
2: That's... when we first met her, um, she lived on Pricing Street in Jamaica Plain. And her and her roommate put out an awesome fanzine called Miscarriage. <laughs>
0: yep. Well, that's hilarious. Yep. So when you did play – so you guys did play the first BCN Rumble, though, right?
3: Well, now we're up to the second. We we got to play again. Mm-hmm. And it was the next year that you probably started okay, playing okay. The Raps. At the Raps. Yeah,
0: okay, so yeah. it, that, I, I didn't know the, the background.
3: That was kind of the big year.
2: You know, that was like La Peste, Thrills, Unnatural Acts, Neighborhoods. And there was a great picture in the in the Phoenix because like the semifinals, there's like a picture of me, Peter Dayton, Minahan, and uh, Barb, Barb, Kitson. yeah, and Barb Kitsen, and it was like that was that.
3: That's
2: that when you knew awesome. that punk
3: was had arrived
2: in Boston for you know, sure. Was just, now yeah. It's
0: acceptable. Yeah. Well, oh, that's four great bands, though. Yeah, it was
2: good. Yeah, it was definitely a good one. Uh, I, I couldn't even imagine trying to think of all the other bands that were involved in it that were probably awesome too and i apologize if, if if i forget but like that was like the the big semi-finals type thing and the
0: final was you in the neighborhoods right
2: no it was neighborhoods and uh i don't know
3: Le- neighborhoods
0: in the past yeah neighborhoods we in La Peste, battled yeah. It out at, at oh, the past oh okay so were you guys <laughs> was it you guys in the neighborhoods on the same like in the semi-finals or something or
2: I forget who we played. Well,
0: the semifinals made it through a couple of nights. Uh,
3: I can't remember. Yeah. I think all I remember is we were on the on the bill with the Jets at some at one point. <laughs> the Jets. I think they were kind of rock kind of Yeah. straight rock. Oh, maybe God. our second night might have been with with Thrills. Yeah. yeah. But we're playing with four bands each four different bands each night. It's yeah, funny. I'll have to look that up.
0: It's like 40 years ago so I have these kind of blended memories so I must have been to it at a bunch of other shows because I saw you guys and I saw the neighborhoods uh, well as well and um and then what was the impact that had on a like the Boston rock scene I mean it's like BCN's finally paying attention are you, does it mean like you're getting radio play not just from TBS slash MBR but you say you guys getting uh, I, I do I could have sworn remember hearing you guys on around uh, BCN and stuff right
3: Sure.
2: I have the playlist. Uh, you know, they used to print out a playlist you could get at Strawberries or whatever. And the Man Out of Be Frank Daler song, um, got pretty good airplay on, on uh, you know, the local top 20 or whatever. Um,
3: like, you know, Song of the Week or something? Or, you know, yeah. Pick of the Week?
0: Well, they certainly weren't going to play They Saved Hitler's Brain with some of the lyrics from there. So. Well, you know, <laughs>
2: yeah, you know. Uh, The the man I don't want to be was was appropriate. And it was it's, you know, one of the best act songs, you know. Oh, it definitely is. Frank only writes Frank Frank only writes one every five years or so then. But it it matters. (laughs) He writes still resonating. (laughs) I know.
0: Do you think that the rumble like helped kickstart some of what was going on? Did it make it okay for BC and, um, you know, do you start getting more promotions from that? Do, do, do you think the the club started filling up more? Or because um, that's the time. I mean, I was there earlier, but I think that's when I started going on a really regular basis.
2: Well, the support really helped, but we were never a band that was going to like get a manager, go on the road, quit our day jobs. I mean, we were just having like the most fun we possibly could and still remain friends. Yeah,
3: you didn't tell me that part until it was too late. <laughs> <laughs>
2: but I didn't, but that's just it, Tom. We didn't have to tell each other that. It was like, we, we after we played with the police at the Rat, we played in New York. Uh, was CB's the first, CBGB's might have been the first one? Or yeah, and we, we had
3: four nights with the plasmatics at CBGB's.
2: Yeah, and, and we did a show uh, at some club way down. Um, Oh,
3: shoot. Then we played at Heat.
2: Heat, yeah. Frank and I went and met with um, one of the Copeland brothers, the one that ran the booking agency. So it was Miles, Stewart, and Ian Copeland. Uh, One played drums for the police, one had a record label, one had a booking agency. And so Frank and I hung out after a gig and the next day went out to lunch with this guy and actually went up to, to one of the Copeland's thing. And he was like, okay, well, I give you a tour with Ultravox in the North, you know, the Northeast. I don't know, it was like a hundred bucks a night or 200 bucks a night. It was, it was fine yeah. if we could do it. And I'm like, well, i got to go to work in Falleen's Basement. And at that <laughs> time our drummer was a teamster and he's like, well, I got a young family. I go to, you know, uh, you know, so we were just like, nah, we'll do our weekend trips to wherever and we'll just keep playing when we want to play. I think that's kind of how it kind of panned out.
0: So you guys yeah. never did like a national tour or never did any... Um... Nah. But you did do gigs. I remember listening to an interview and you guys like you did something in Detroit. I know you...
2: Oh, yeah. Detroit came later. That was like uh, uh,
3: late, late...
2: Well, actually it was that. Out. was like
3: late 80s we started going out there. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Exactly right.
3: So our, our early records started making the rounds of the uh, the collectors. Exactly. And uh, we started getting some interest in Europe and and from these guys in the Midwest, they said they looked at the the band on the front cover. They said we got to meet these guys.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. So they so, started
3: booking us out in Detroit.
0: But but in the early years, you mostly—I mean, you guys played a lot around. Right? I saw you guys probably we as played much all around sports, New England and and down in New York, down to New York. So what were some of the other gigs that you guys, other folks you play with? You said you played with. You opened for the Police at uh, the Rat. Um, what year was that? Like 1980 or something? 1981. That was seventy-eight. October
2: seventy-eight. Really? Yeah. So that was their wow. first
0: time in town. Yep.
2: Uh, Roxanne was being played heavily on BCN. So that was uh, their entrance, you know, their, their first tour.
3: So somehow we, we got into the rat. And from the rat, we uh, moved to the Paradise and played mm-hmm. a bunch of shows, that, like 12 shows there with bands um, with Squeeze, Magazine. Oh. 999? Schooley, 999. That was a, what a night. That was the best. Pla- uh, plasmatics um, there? Do we play with the plasmatics? And the plasmatics there? and yeah, the members. Yeah. yeah. What was so, so great about the 999 gig? Oh, so first thing was, I, I got there early and I was waiting around for everybody to show up, and, and the, the drummer came up to me and started talking to me and said, Hey, hey mate, can we use your drums? Our drums are duff. I go, Dumb, <laughs> what's that? He goes, They're no good. <laughs> All right. So Tommy Taylor agreed to let him use the, the drums. And then uh, during the set, the bass player was, you know, showing off or goofing around. He stuck a bass between his legs and started staggering around. Then he knocked down his amp, I think, right? And they, they pushed the Franks amp up there. <laughs> it's so, like, you're yeah. almost using our whole back line by the end of the night. Right, right.
2: But, boy, they were
3: unbelievable.
2: That was, that was one of the best ever, playing with those guys.
0: Any other um... – Bands, uh, who'd you play with when you went out to Detroit?
3: Uh, well, we, oh, we brought, played with Destro- Destroy Destroy Old Monsters. Yeah. I got a Niagara uh, original here. That's right. Well, print that she gave us.
2: Yep, we played uh, with her and uh, Ron Ashton. The Pretty Vertical crazy. Pillow.
3: We played with the Vertical Pillow,
2: and we so, brought Cheetah with us one time, and we brought Felice with us another time. So that was insane.
0: Cheetah Chrome.
2: Yeah. Well, the, actually. The first time we went out wait, yeah, we backed him up. Uh we backed him up, but um yeah, it was so it was on natural accent cheetah chrome, right, Tom? At least one trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know, I guess we I guess we learned his songs uh before and then went out and was his, and and were his backup band. That's what led to us being his backup band in uh in Italy. Uh, uh, Tommy wasn't on that wasn't luckily wasn't on that one.
0: A good friend and old dear friend of mine and the actors Mr. Richie Parsons.
1: I, I hope this does uh, uh, not accentuate my tits too much.
0: go to Italy yeah yeah
2: in in um, 2006
3: <clears throat> wow so this this poster when we yeah. played in Italy together yeah
2: which was totally awesome because uh my daughter made a unnatural acts myspace page for me and because I was like I didn't know what the hell to do with myspace and then um, I said to my wife I go geez this 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 lady Susie keeps writing to me and it looks like we have fans in Italy. And then Susie said, do you wanna play a punk rock festival? And I was like, yep, sign us up, we'll be there. And so that band that we played with, uh, it says what Neon Maniacs, Taxi, Taxi was a band that's now um, Judah that are really doing quite well um, in, uh, in Europe.
3: And then we hung out with Eater.
2: Oh yeah, Eater, like one of our original Kind of, they, they were even younger than us when we first started listening to them. Uh, great British uh, punk band. Tommy, I think, you know, the first night we were in Italy, like we had no idea why we why we were there except people wanted us to play, and we met this kid that was a writer, and he wrote this whole history of Boston rock, and the kids in these kids in Rome they knew everything about Boston Rock. Not only could they name every Italian that was involved in Boston Rock from Count Viglione to Ralph Fatello, <laughs> but they had their opinion. Tommy, do you want to take that? Do you know okay, what so,
3: so yep. um, what, what Enrico said to us was, uh, Le Peste, they were intellectuals. You, you are nerds, nerdos.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh. And they also asked us about pastiche.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah.
3: <laughs> but they knew but, every uh, all the local bands. Yeah. And I guess they were just they're big record collectors over there. Yeah. Love Boston Rock.
2: And the people that we played, you know, hung out with and, and played for were uh, passionate about unnatural acts. I mean, they thought we were awesome. And uh, I just thought that was, that was great. That was good enough for me.
0: And what year was that?
2: 2006. Okay. You know? And then, um, yeah, it was just insane.
0: That's amazing. Big in Europe.
2: Well, you know, in someone's mind, you know, not not in the paycheck or reality or anything else, but well,
0: enough well, people that... really. What was the, uh, I, I listened to an interview with you guys earlier, and uh, one of the things you would talk about is almost like kind of unique uh, a group of people that you drew and uh <laughs> and then as i was thinking of that and i was thinking okay this kind of this is but this was this makes sense because it was the uh it really appealed to the drunk overgrown teenage boy in me even when i was significantly older so um so just tell me uh to describe like your audience uh, i thought you had some pretty unique spins on it in the, in the interview i heard before
2: <laughs> i'd say originally at cantons it was just like yeah it was just dudes period. Like, I don't know. We, there was nothing sexy about our natural acts. So if, like, if you were a girl that wanted to go dance, you wouldn't go see the acts.
3: You You'd know? go see the real kids. Yeah, yeah. Go see the
2: real kids and yeah, yeah. And other bands. And then all of a sudden, like, we were just, I don't, I don't know what it was about us. It was everything I was, like, trying to get away from in my neighborhood. Like, not, not, not necessarily jocks or whatever, but it was just like, what's up with all these dudes? I want to meet girls. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so what um during that time, during those say those early years, when you guys were hanging out a lot, what were the um <clears throat> I always want to talk about the venues because I know eventually it grew into like I said, it was cantones and um and the rat and the club and like space, and then I was talking to someone earlier today, and it was uh, uh the underground. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember seeing the Nervous Eaters at the Western Front. I don't know if they did anything, but uh, yeah, back Western in the Yeah, Western Front
3: was but... a little after us. Um, uh, I, was... I just thought of something today was uh, we played down the Honey Lounge, and the Honey Lounge turned into the Poor house.
0: That's right. The Honey Lounge. Oh, man, I forgot all about that one, too.
3: The
2: Boston Film and Video
0: Foundation,
2: Boston Architectural Center. on Boston
0: uh, Arts
3: Group.
2: Yep. We had a few, like, alternative space-type gigs that were pretty memorable. But, yeah, I think it was mostly... Uh, we were a rat band, you know, Rat Paradise, Cantones, Cantones. Club Merrimack in Manchester, New Hampshire. <laughs> <laughs>
3: and then, uh, yeah, and then off to New York for the last, yeah. kind of like the last phase.
0: Yeah. Now, how were the... um. How were the club owners? I mean, it's like because I've talked to different guys and they said uh, they got better deals from some of the people and some of the people were just like shits. So, um, how'd you like working at the different clubs? I mean, I know you're friends with Jimmy Harold, so it couldn't have been too bad. But I mean, so some of the other bands. We were talking. To, I was talking to Frank today, uh, Frank Rowe, and he said that it's uh, um, I, I couldn't believe that that was like a, a in the day during the day it was like serving lunch to businessmen, and then at night it's a it was just a shithole when I was in there, that's what I recall. <laughs> so uh, yeah,
3: Cantones was the kind of place that was doing anything to, you know, for entertainment. They had a boxing ring I found out in the basement. So they had live boxing there for a while. Really? At Cantones? Yeah. And um, and Mario Cantone is the brother of Teddy and he used to do uh, comedy down there for his AA group. Really? Yeah. But I, I loved going to Cantones and playing down there.
2: Yeah, it was Bye. the best. Great, always characters, always something fun. I used to go early and play cards with Susie Headbanger and Loretta Beretta. I mean, as when I, as a fan and like, uh, I was taking pictures all the time when I, before the acts and just at the beginning of the acts. So it was just an adventure, you know, it just an adventure to go out and, you know. And Tommy, how about that time I, we drove home on your moped from uh, Canton's to Dorchester. <laughs> Drunk,
0: I'm sure. Yep. No, not at all. We weren't even.
2: <laughs> we, I didn't even drink when we'd go to clubs back in the, you know, back that long ago. But like Tommy had a, um, Tommy had a uh, uh, milk crate on the back of his um, moped, and I remember driving down Dorchester Avenue with him, and I'm wearing. I had to wear the milk crate on my head. Otherwise I had no place to sit, you
0: know, (laughs) he needed a helmet.
2: That's right. Right. Oh my God.
0: We ought to try that again sometime. (laughs) Yeah. Right.
2: Might need some extra, uh, extra air in the tires if I'm on the back.
0: (laughs) What about the space? Did you like playing there? Did you guys play that much? Awesome.
2: That was the place I kicked. Um,
3: Oh, right. uh, Yeah. So so the space was really, I think we came back from New York. We had gone to the Mud Club and uh, this is like the first time we saw a new wave disco was down down New York. And then when we came back, the space started and it was just like the same kind of atmosphere. Mm-hmm. This was going to be really something.
2: Yeah. We played there and oh, who was the girl that kicked in the head? Kathy Logue. Kathy Logue. Yeah. Judy just yelled from the Yo, kitchen, Kathy, Kathy Logue. Logue. <laughs>
4: uh,
2: Yeah, it was like one of those things where I like jumped off the stage, but by accident, I kicked this girl in the face and broke her nose and knocked her out. And there's a great fill and flash picture of like Frank playing the bass like over. And then uh, I I was doing an interview or something on uh, TBS and she called in and then she told me that uh, when I kicked her in the head, she was gonna, she had long, long, long hair all the way down to her butt. And somehow when I kicked her in the head, she had a tumor that was behind her ear and she was going in for surgery, but I, I, I moved the tumor forward so they didn't have to cut all her hair off, something.
3: Totally. Yeah, they, I, I got the follow-up when I showed the Axe movie in Austin <laughs> uh-huh. um, um, from Kathy Logue's gal pal's kid that was going oh, to really? school there. And, <clears throat> and uh, she said that they could go in through her eye socket to get the oh, tumor and didn't have to cut her hair, hair over. Right, 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 right. right. <laughs> so that was
2: like an act of God or an act of unnatural acts, so whatever you want to call it.
3: Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. funny. The boot that heals.
0: I, um, I, I actually met you one time in my life. <clears throat> um, and it's like, so you went to Boston Tech, right? That's correct. So I used to bring, when I was uh, in the scene, when I first started coming around, I used to go to like, uh, you know, bring, bring my friends in and go, you guys got to check the scene out. So uh, when you talked about uh, uh, Cantones, I brought a couple of my friends in who had never been out to see um, to see that, that brand of music before. And uh, my friend comes out and I had seen her before. I said, Mike, there's a girl who's pregnant that's pissing over the drain in the, in the men's room. And I just went, Oh, that's, that's just how it is. Just don't think anything of it, but, <laughs> but, but the time that I met you was outside the space. And the reason I asked about the one of the things I asked about the rumble is the rumble had just happened. And, uh, this friend of, uh, a guy that you went to school with this kid, Bobby McBride. I don't know if you remember him or not. Mm-hmm. Like sure. 40 years ago. Yep. Yeah. I think he was from West Roxbury or uh, Rosendale, one of those places yeah, at Rosendale. And, uh, so we're, we're saying, Hey, that's Richie Parsons from my natural X, And you're drunk. I'm drunk. Bobby Strunk, <laughs> we're getting ready to go in to see the neighborhoods and you would like just hammered and you go like, oh, you going in to see the best band in Boston? <laughs> and uh, so, and it, and it was funny, I just said, yeah, I said, those guys were in the Rumble together. It's probably a long story, but. Um,
2: no, but, just sour grapes.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but so how did you guys get along with like the other bands? I mean, it's like in, ge- in general, in general, I mean, I mean or, or, or did you have bands that you A liked from, from a musical uh, standpoint yeah. and from a personal standpoint?
3: We're, we're glad that you, we're glad that you mentioned the neighborhoods. Uh, how's that for a segue? So be- before, before we even played out, right. Uh, Richie Richie and I put together a ransom note type of poster threatening the neighborhoods. That, what, they published it in Miscarriage? Yeah, watch Watch out out neighborhoods. Unnatural
2: acts are going to kick your ass, you know. We didn't, I mean, we didn't know. We just thought another band meant, you know, ah, fuck them, you know. And then then there was a, a Halloween show, I think, I don't know, got double booked, and we were supposed to play with La or something, but it became The Inflictors. And we showed up and we weren't, and then we couldn't play. So that meant immediately I hated The Inflictors. Truthfully, one of the best Boston bands ever. Oh, yeah. You know, but I just took a hate to them. You know, I'm like, these jerks took our gig, you know, whatever. And then the very, very first time I met Rick Hart, which was shortly after that, He gave me an Inflictors 45 outside of the paradise. And he introduced himself. And I took the record and I threw it on the ground and stepped on
4: it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What a jerk. (laughs) What was that 45? Uh, Where'd you get that cigarette or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. That was a great song.
2: Totally awesome.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. But in general, I mean, you guys because I saw, I mean, you guys were, you guys played a lot. I mean, at least when yeah. I was around, you played a lot.
2: And we really did get along with everyone. We weren't as we were we were pretend jerks. We weren't really we, jerks.
3: Yeah. We, oh, another place that we used to play, <laughs> the living room in Rhode Island, because I remember we played down there with the neighborhoods. That's right. Yeah.
0: We, we, we were with them a lot. Did you guys fold at one point? Because um, or did you just start doing other projects? Because um, I was telling Lenny, the the producer of the show, um, I was looking through my, uh, I don't, I, I just moved. I only have a handful of records left And I, but one record that I knew that I had for a long time was no surfing in Dorchester Bay. Um, and that's, was that with band 19? Did you do that? Or was that on your own? Uh, the, the, the Grammys. The Grammys. Okay. <laughs> it, okay. it
2: originated as a, a natural act song. We actually, uh, Frank and I wrote that and um, we played it at the downtown lounge in Portland, Maine. As I recall, it's part of that uh, that live recording that I have, and um, and then yeah, the acts kind of folded around uh, the spring of 1980. Uh, I think it was the spring of 1980.
1: I just had to get away So I packed up my baggies And I drove down to Dutchester Bay Well now the girls on Tinian Beach On the hot summer days But you can't go surfing Where there are no waves There's no surfing on Tinian Beach There's no surfing in Dutchester
2: But then I think the spring of 1981, we probably played again and haven't stopped playing since. But, you know, I mean, I went on and did Future Dads and, you yep. know, Tommy we, had my Eye Ons and Billy Goons. and
3: Yeah, but we actually had to break up the band so that we could all start separate bands with Roger Tripp, the drummer from La
0: Peste. <laughs> really? <laughs>
2: <laughs> he ended up playing. That's right. He played in stickball, too, which is funny.
0: So, So you guys have been playing. So I've seen you. Um, I saw you in the early days, and then I probably didn't go to clubs for a long time. And then about had to be 10 or 12 years ago, I was at the Middle East, and it was a bill with the Nervous Eaters, Unnatural Acts, Willie, Willie Loco, uh, and it was like it was mind-blowingly good gig. It was amazing. But that had to be at least 10, 12 years ago, maybe even longer. That so was downstairs. Downstairs, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
2: That was a good one.
0: That was a brilliant show.
2: I forget what the. Uh... I was gonna say, you sure that was
0: us? <laughs> oh, <No, I'm> positive, <laughs> positive.
2: We got better as we got older.
0: You know? Oh, because I, 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 remember. I still,
2: we don't tune. Well, maybe we tune a little better, and but the the secret with the acts is that we get about twenty or thirty songs from from then, and we don't mess with it. Yeah. You know? It's not like you're going We're gonna be playing Ricky Martin, La Vida Loca, uh, any, <laughs> you know, anything current. Well, that isn't current, but you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> anything different? Just to, we got we got our core, and we know that's what people want to hear. They don't want to, you know, they want to hear what Tommy White's doing with the with the Beachcomb Overs or anything else he's doing. They'll go see them. They want to hear Richie Parsons with whatever the hell I'm doing. Well, both of them will come see us too, but, you know, they, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's just
0: the way it is. So what, are you guys doing other projects right now still, or?
2: Mm, yeah, I'm still playing. Like I, I do my uh, uh, duo, trio, Richie Parsons band. Um, when, when Unnatural Axe played with um, Human Sexual Response.
0: I was at that show.
2: Yeah. So that's when I asked Malcolm Travis to play drums with me for my solo stuff. And so Malcolm's been playing, Um, he played on my last album. Yeah, that's just another outlet another you know play with some other people no matter what happens though i always end up with frank Dela. you know so like in, in it seems like any incarnation like you know the axe will always be the axe yep but i've been wicked fortunate to have a bunch of crazy guitar players i was thinking about this earlier today i was like the ultimate crazy guitar player is tommy white and then I got, I, you know, then I got to play with Fritz Erickson and my buddy Brownie, you know, and, and, and a couple other people. Now my buddy Doug, who Doug is younger and he looks up to all of these guys, basically. Um, I think that's fair to say he is his own person, but he loves Fritz and he loves Tommy and Brownie and, you know, so, but it always seems to be
3: that Frank Daler thing. That's still part of what I'm doing.
4: Okay. You know?
3: Hey um I do want to, I I wanted to ask Richie um what's let's, let's list some of the great bands that we saw at the Rat because uh, it's just mm-hmm. unbelievable we we'd see the greatest bands on on earth just right in Kenmore Square right up close.
0: Yeah. This is really that's, helpful Tom thanks that's a that's a great question.
3: And this is when this
2: is when as I had said earlier Tommy and I were always on a mission like I'm going to this club to see that one I'm going to and you go to that club and see that one and we'll report back you know. But, like, uh, for, I mean, for me, the early rat stuff, like um, Stranglers at the Rat was oh. one of the most intense shows I ever went to. Um, of course, The Runaways and, and uh, Richard Hell. I mean, my God, there were so many unbelievable bands that played there.
3: The Dead Boys.
2: The Dead Boys, uh, Wayne County and the Electric Chairs. I uh, of so the Diodes. Yep, Diodes, too. I mean, there was just like... And the
3: Dictators.
2: Oh, yeah, Dictators first time at the Rat. Unbelievable.
3: I saw Helen Wheels there.
2: Oh, I didn't see that. I, that was probably oh. a night I went to Cantons or something. <laughs>
3: and then did the jam play there? I think... Yes. I think we went down... We were going to the record shop and the jam were getting ready to go on stage.
2: Well, so you must have come into town with me. It was after the Mark Thor benefit, nine eleven seventy seven. probably. Yeah, nine eleven seventy seven. Never forget. And you you and I went into town to the Rat to see. We saw La Peste. We saw all these bands playing at the Mark Thor benefit. I think Mark Thor broke his neck. I, didn't, I had no idea who Mark Thor was, but I knew that there was like a all-day, all-night show at the Rat, and you could see everyone. Um, there was a band from Marshfield called Thrust. There was The Destroyed. Um, the first time I saw one of the early... Earlier times, the first times I saw La Peste, Nervous Eaters, The Count. It was just everyone in Boston rock and roll. So, of course, Tommy and I were, you know, this is what we gotta do, we gotta go see this. And I photographed a bunch of it. I got lots of great pictures from that day. And uh, yeah, it was just one of those kind of like all day long things, $2 cover charge, who knows.
3: You know. But was Willie? Wasn't Willie the final headliner? Yep, and
2: Willie Loco too. Yep, yep. First time I saw Willie, first time, well, might, we might have seen the Eaters, but geez, I think it was September '77. We probably hadn't been to too many shows before that.
3: No, that was like the first big show we went to with the Rat. Yeah,
2: I think you think you're right. We saw Rita Rat singing with the Count. Yeah, it was crazy.
0: For two bucks, too. (laughs)
4: Mm,
2: Yeah, two, three bucks. I forget what the cover was. Yeah. Took the trolley car, or, you know, took the subway home. I came back. I think we both came back the same night and watched more (laughs) bands play and photographed it. And then I got in touch with a few of the bands and said I had pictures. So it wasn't a school night, but it was a work night. And my mom said, you know, well, if you go into town, you got to come home. You can't stay out late or whatever. Mm. I brought the photos in and I gave them to like the guy from the destroyed or the count or someone. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Those are pictures I took and the jam were playing. And I begged the guy at the door to let us go down. We walked downstairs just in time for like Paul Weller's dad to push the crowd back as they walked past us near the record store and went onto the stage. And that's all we saw. Because we had to go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's and then the, next, the next time the jam played was at the Paradise. And Tommy White and I were in our underwear at Emerson College.
3: <laughs>
2: full moon. That was a full moon gig where we ended up in our underwear. <laughs> I,
3: I cannot remember anything from of that <laughs> show.
2: Oh, no, yeah, I don't either. And we weren't, even like, we weren't even drinkers or druggers. But that was a cuckoo one. But I remember that was the same night the jam were up at the Paradise and it was a full moon for sure. That worked on us pretty well in general. I think Mark Thor broke his neck. I didn't I had no idea who Mark Thor was, but I knew that there was like a all day, all night show at the Rat and you could see everyone. Um, there was a band from Marshfield called Thrust. There was The Destroyed. Um, the first time I saw one of the early, Earlier times, the first times I saw La Peste, Nervous Eaters, The Count. It was just everyone in Boston rock and roll. So, of course, Tommy and I were, you know, this is what we got to do. We got to go see this. And I photographed a bunch of it. I got lots of great pictures from that day. And, uh, yeah, it was just one of those kind of like all day long things, $2 cover charge, who knows. You know. but
3: was Willie wasn't Willie the final headliner yep and
2: Willie loco too yep yep first time i saw Willie, first time, well i might we might have seen the eaters but geez, i think it was september of 77 we probably hadn't been to too many shows before that
3: no that was like the first big show we went to with the rat yeah
2: i think you think you're right we saw Rita rat singing with the count yeah it was crazy
0: For two bucks, too. (laughs)
2: Mm, Yeah, two, three bucks. I forget what the cover was. But, uh, yeah, it wasn't until the jam played the channel that I got to see them.
3: Oh, lucky you. I never did. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
2: And then the night before the channel show, when I was in Future Dads, they came to the underground. Uh, John Surrett brought them. So I played with Paul Weller and Bruce Foxton and I played the Batman song. Paul Weller had my guitar. That was another story. That's one of those Facebook memories that keeps getting better as uh, people repost it.
0: (laughs) Want to tell that story?
2: Yeah, it was Future Dads were playing. I forget the other band we were playing with. I don't want to offend them, but they seemed kind of stuck up. And then um, John Surrett brought Paul Weller. John
0: Surrett from The the Boy's Life. Life. Yeah, Yeah, Boy's Life, yeah.
2: And um, I just found out that you, two were playing that next night, too, somewhere. So Bono was actually there. There was like 25 people there. At the underground? At the underground. 25 people, probably max. And you got Bono and, uh, you know, Paul Weller and me and Fritz. Uh, so it was pretty funny. It was Like, when I look back at it, uh, Paul Weller liked our guitar straps. We had the the thin white leather with the white leather um, shoulder patch, so they were compl- compliment- uh, complimenting complementing those, but um, yeah, that was a that was a gas. And I just found out recently that Bono was there too because um, John Surrett's girlfriend at the time, Ellen, said, "Oh yeah, he took my beer. He took my beer and drank my beer while we were, while I was watching you guys play.
0: That yeah, it was a good one." Did they give you any feedback after the uh, show?
2: Yeah, We didn't want it. You know, they didn't, you know, they liked our guitar straps. That's good enough.
0: You know? <laughs> they so, like something. Yeah. So,
2: it's like, not to go off the Unnatural Acts topic, but it was like when Jonathan Richmond came to see uh, Future Dads the first time. He came to see us play at Cantones. I was pals with him uh, through Denise. Uh, and uh, he, we came off stage and we had played Modern World, one of his songs, and you know just our a regular set. And I said, I was so excited. Like, Jonathan, what did you think? What did you think? He goes, Oh well, Rich, you guys really stink.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
2: I thought it was the greatest thing. You know, I think Fritz to this day holds a grudge against Jonathan Richmond for saying we stunk. Oh, but you funny.
3: know, <laughs> hey uh, Richie, s- s- speaking of that, um, you, you want to tell us about the the uh, the time that we shared the dressing room with the with the police at the Rat.
2: <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. Bcn was um, you know co promoting it. Uh, they had an in store to do at Strawberries down in uh, on Boylston Street. I think we went and hung out with them f- for that. Or I know I went down just to like to be there while they did that. But you know there was the dressing room was at the back of the club in those days. And uh,
3: so, well, well, prior to that, they did set up and they played for an hour with oh, just us sound in the check. club. Yeah, yeah. yeah. which it's was unbelievable. unbelievable. And
2: yeah, th- I always think and still think that we have the ba- greatest bass player ever in Frank Dela, but then Sting shows up with the bass without frets on it. And I'm like, what's that? Yeah. Who's that guy I think he is? You know, but they were unbelievable. And they did something foreign to us they jammed, like their sound check was like some kind of jam. And I was like, whoa, this isn't even a song. What are they doing? You know, but they were awesome. They were really awesome musicians is what the real thing is. Yep. And um, so we were backstage and it was either, uh, it was after, I think it was after our first set and before their first set. And um, I used to have this, uh, I used to carry a, one of those little square Pan Am flight bags was where I would keep my guitar cable, and you know I had chloriceptic, yeah, because of my beautiful voice, I didn't want to hurt it <laughs> uh, but um, as Sting had mentioned to me, he said uh he he gave me some advice, he said, don't use the chloraseptic, uh what do he say before you before you sing because you'll uh, you'll blow your voice out or something, and then like so I just happened to be in the dressing room, and I farted and <laughs> Oh, wait no, sting farted. Wait a second. What is that? Can turn this around. This is wait. This is like historic. Sting, sting farted and blamed me. You know, sting lets one rip and looks at me and says, "Did you poop?" And I was like, "Fuck you, you farted." You know, <laughs> I was like, the most Dorchester I could ever be in my life, saying, "Fuck you, you farted." <laughs> oh my gosh yeah well there there you go
3: that's me and sting
0: oh my god that's a tough story to top you got any more tommy
3: (laughs) (laughs) no i think that's about that's about that's the tops yeah
0: those poor guys stuck
3: in the room with us
0: But there must have been some pretty crazy gigs just playing just around town. I just remember just like I said, it's little stories I remember from going to all the different clubs and just like just the madness. I, I remember being in the space and there was this woman that was the waitress. She was wearing ice skates. And I'm there like, what the <laughs> hell is that all about? I had no, it just totally. I mean, it was just crazy shit all the time.
2: That's had to be Sue Miller. She used to wear figure skates.
0: Figure skates. That's what I meant. Yeah, yeah. And like yeah, We called little... her
2: Susie Skate. Susie Skates. Yeah, she was. So I didn't like halluc- this- I
0: didn't I didn't hallucinate that.
2: Nope. Tutu, like maybe a tutu and a a, year, yep. a, a leotard up top. Yep. yep. Exactly. That's uh, Roger Miller's wife when she first was uh, at um, Wellesley. Yep. That was her look that she would uh, Susie Skates.
0: Oh, that's I, 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 yeah. I, I, I just happened to think of that. And I'm like, that. I mean, that's the kind of mad stuff that was going on all the time. I remember another time I was watching La and we were in the space, and um, and I just remember all they were doing. One of the songs La did was Spy Master, mm-hmm. and it's like I guess they attracted some sort of like brown shirt kids that used to show up for their uh, thing. And I they, just remember, huh?
2: They come to see us too. Oh, really? Two kids. Yep.
0: And they were just off to the side. And then at the end of the night, because it was also, there was this kind of overlap of cultures starting to happen. So you had a couple of, I think they had more than a couple of the brown shirt kids, but then there was a, you know, there was, <clears throat> I remember the punk scene always attracted people that were just starting, like there was sort of glam and a lot of like um, people mm-hmm. were just starting coming out as being gay and being comfortable and doing yep. all that. And there was just like this fight ready to erupt. And it's like, there's the, the, regular punk side um you know with the gay guys on one side and then all the brown shirts on the other side and then everybody's getting ready to go and it's me and my friends just jumped into the side that we belonged in with all the mm-hmm. you know the regular club people and uh yeah that was that was bizarre um there yeah. was a lot of do you remember any stories or that kind of thing so? yeah
2: Cantones one time frank and i kind of went after those kids they i mean i don't know what they were really about you know um but they 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 liked us and there were more dudes that came to see us. And, you know, one night we just kind of went at them um, I, I never heard back from them. One of the kids might have written to me or something and said, what the fuck? What's up? I thought you guys were, I go, we're we're a stupid fucking cartoon band.
3: <laughs> not in, you
2: know what I mean? I mean, yeah, that, it wasn't. Well, well, that's
3: when uh, Tommy Taylor and I. I I decided we're gonna play uh, the Batman beam. If you and Frank are gonna start fighting, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> was that a comment? Did you guys have uh, get into any other fights? Or?
3: No, I don't. think
0: Oh, you so. smashed into Frank's
3: head and, and uh, put out a lot of. Uh,
2: oh little, yeah, little Monday like night that. at Canton's was one of the bloodiest ones ever. The real kids had been playing somewhere, opening or you know doing a real, real gig like you know somewhere at a, a huge place. And it was a Monday night, and they came, they came back to Cantones and the natural acts were on stage. And either Frank was on his way up, and I was on my way down from a jump, and his uh, bass caught my nose, and I just made the best of it, and like drank beer and blew it out my nose, but it looked like it was all blood. And meanwhile, like Alpo and uh, Billy Bushioli or somebody is standing in that little doorway, thinking like these guys are insane, you know, (laughs) but we weren't really insane. We were just having fun.
0: were definitely one of the more uh uh animated acts that's for sure
3: oh yeah yeah you guys did,
0: did a lot of jumping around and a lot of
3: yeah that's what ed sullivan said
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> i know the
2: whole unnatural acts thing was was more like spanky and the little rascals it's like hey we're gonna put on a show uh, i you know i got a old jalopy hey come on let's sing for the sing for the kids
0: as yeah. uh, you exit. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was uh, that was some great shows though. Like I said, I've I've seen you guys a lot over the years. So um,
3: so me being uh, I used I was a Zoom kid at GBH. So I started in my career at uh,
0: in TV. Tell you people know, what Zoom kid is. Uh, I know what it is. Come on and Zoom Zoom. Oh, it was a it was Zoom, a show yeah.
3: it was a show for kids that um, the the whole idea of the show was kids would send in contributions and we'd you know do the games and plays and stuff like that. But out of that, I I learned about TV production. And I went to Emerson College and I ended up uh, interning at um, the MIT film video where I met Jan Crocker. So we did a lot of uh, punk rock productions with him. And uh, he wanted to film the acts. So I had a lot of films of our early shows that were done on the black and white reel to reel and some even some, you know, kind of studio quality stuff that we did at BFBF. So these these uh, videos sat in, in like my closet for years and years. And, um, I decided after going to, uh, boot those record fairs and I saw all these bootleg videos, like of the dolls and stuff that I could do that too. And we were also getting bootlegged in places like Australia and, um, in New Jersey and showing up on these compilation albums and not getting paid. So I wanted to put together my own, uh, acts, um, Compilation VHS tape, which I did, and as I went along with it, I added interviews, and it sort of it built into an arc of a story. So this thing kind of got legs when I started showing it around, and I managed to get it uh, shown at the um, the Coolidge Corner, and I got invited to show it out in Los Angeles at uh, at the Don't Rock uh, Don't Knock the Rock Fest, and from there it also got sent to the um, Alamo Drafthouse house theater in, um, in, uh, Austin, Texas. So I'm playing the two biggest, uh, independent cinemas in, in the U S <laughs> with this stuff. And it also, um, a, a distributor picked that up and said he was going to put it out as a DVD. And, um, he did, he did uh, pick it up, but it never got distributed. But I guess my, my point with the whole thing was I put together my own project and, and we got a lot of interest in it. And I also managed to, uh, pull up some of the greatest live tracks to cut the videos to. What was the name of the um, video itself? It's called You'll Pay For This. Okay. <laughs> Sounds like of <when> he teaches. <laughs> well, it's actually The Life of the Creeper. You'll pay for this. Don't oh, be, yeah, yeah. do yeah, 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 creeper, yeah. you'll pay for this.
4: Okay. I yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: And I have to credit my, uh, my wife, Judy White, for covered up with the great title.
1: Brain. If you want to school, i gave him shit, believe in me, he took care of it, don't call me a creeper, you'll pay for this, don't call me a creeper, you'll pay for this, in a bucket of acid, the janitor's dead, the English teacher just lost her head, Bernie did a dance on the coach's face. He put the school job back in his place. Don't call me a creeper. You'll pay for this. Don't call me a creeper. You'll pay for this.
2: It, prior to the, the You'll Pay For This, though, so you had the House of Pain, which is like it was like a crazy conglomeration of like us, uh, it seemed like us trying to remake The Creeper, but then there was other, other great stuff. Of oh, a, yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah so, Jan, yeah, so Jan Crocker, a, um, a, 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 a film producer from uh, MIT, thought, wanted to make a film about unnatural acts, so he started filming us at work and play. But uh, he said that he, he decided that was getting boring. So, Richie, you came up with the, with the idea of uh, doing the uh, The Creeper movie.
2: Trying to do a remake. It was we silly. Shot
3: about, we shot about half of that stuff. Yeah. But every time we'd shoot a scene, we'd write three more. So it never really got done.
0: <laughs> is this stuff available online or anything? Or is it stuff, or is there a way you can get a hold of it? Or? Anything well, on
3: YouTube? Yeah, there's a, I put a little bit on YouTube because the distribution deal fell apart. I had to wait like three years to get my rights back. Then I'm, lo- I'm still looking for another distributor. I, I threw it at Jan Crocker. And some of the stuff is on the uh, Kino DV site, but it's still a a film that could be released. I just didn't want to give it away by putting it up everything up on YouTube.
0: Yep. So where does it stand now? If somebody wanted to see it, they've it just called called Tom. <laughs> I don't know. It, <laughs>
3: is there like trying to get films distributed like on Netflix or something? Um, I can't just do. A, they won't just pick up a singular film. You have to like sell it as a package with all these other films. So unless somebody can approach me with something, I don't know what to do with it. The rodent club. <laughs> yeah, how's that sound? Because my my plan was I'm gonna all I have to do is I can make my own VHS tapes here. I can sell them for twenty bucks. I'll make fifteen dollars. And at that time I could mail tapes all over the country for like three dollars. So I'm like I can't fail. All I gotta do is sell one thousand <laughs> of these that I have made, you know, <laughs> all, all kinds of money.
2: All I have to do is go to the Go to the post office
3: every day yeah. of my life. Yeah. So then I think um, Newbery Comics asked me to uh, get them some DVDs, right? Yep. But he was only willing to, to give me like six bucks for each of them. But my, my production costs are like $5. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm making under a thousand. So it's like, oh man, what if this is the numbers aren't working? <laughs> um,
0: all right. Uh, I really, this has been great. This has been really a lot of fun too. It was great talk, get, meeting you guys. Great talking to you guys too. So awesome. Thank um, you so much. Great right, thank cool. you very much.
2: Yeah. And if if we were if we were wittier or funnier in the old interviews, you can drop that shit in instead. <laughs> yeah, we <we're> just
0: gonna <laughs> <over again. laughs> Yeah. Lenny's the master splicer. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right, guys. All right, thank, thank you. So I'll you see you guys later. Adios. Bye. Thanks for listening to Rat Tales, produced and directed by Lenny Scaletta and Mike Hogan. Special thanks to Medford.